title of the Dharma talk this evening is, I think it is, more, 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 more halfway measures. Someone at the uh, open heart evening meditation at six o'clock that we do every evening at six o'clock, uh, put on by uh, Dutch and Susan Piper, who may, you may have heard of her. So she invites different teachers to come. I think there's four a day, one at nine in the morning, one at noon, one at three in the afternoon. And I do the six o'clock one in the evening, at least so far. And someone there asked, I think they saw a video, perhaps a few years old, maybe more than that, where I talked about halfway measures. Halfway. And it's something that it's just a device or you could say you could use it in meditation practice, but it's primarily kind of a post-meditation device for extending the awareness in areas that it won't naturally go to. We're usually looking at the beginning of something and the end. And rarely do we look halfway unless there's something interesting there that but that's not exactly uh, uh about the awareness that kind of happen there it is about being attracted or repelled or some other dynamic that could show up in the consciousness that would be pushing and pulling so the simple one that i often use and i'll use it now but there's lots of other ones and i certainly would entertain some questions around this because it can go lots of ways it can go in the center of a word. You can just be aware as you pronounce the word particularly. You can be aware of, there is a U in the center of that word, and there's two syllables on either side. This is something that uh, Trungpa Rinpoche kind of brought up uh, back in the well, 70s, maybe early 80s. Called He called this uh, elocution. I've not looked up that word, but I think it's something to do with pronunciation. Is that what it is? Yeah, elocution. Something like that. Anyway, halfway measures. You're getting ready to strike the gong because you're being beginning to meditate. And you may actually notice halfway. And you may actually stop halfway, continue on through. And you may come back halfway. And just notice the halfway point. You can emphasize that a few times, even if it's getting up and uh, going to the restroom or if it is halfway through anything, anything that has a beginning. I'm starting to go for a walk. And then I go for a walk, but the halfway measure may be some point halfway between the time you uh, start the walk and you end. You could do it with a clock. You could just do it with uh, guesswork. It's halfway. What What is it? What is there? Is there anything that is any kind of contrast that is happening there? Halfway. Halfway. And it's about awareness. It's never about up and down, back and forth, praise and blame, all the other ways of trying to manipulate our world so that things turn out the way we want. So, again, it's about awareness and using some kind of a form. It could be it could be your uh, going to your car, going to the parking lot. It could be getting in. And notice there's a halfway point between the time you open the door and the time you actually sit down. There's actually a point in there where you're somewhat off balance. And quite often in those halfway areas, not always, but sometimes in those halfway areas. No, I didn't freeze. Sometimes in those halfway areas, we ignore that. We don't know about that space. Halfway from here to the gas station, halfway from here to work or to home. These days, we aren't moving around much because of the COVID-19 problem we're having here. What's the date today? Six, May 6th. This is May 6th, 2020. Halfway to where? What's halfway? This is halfway into the 
COVID-19. That's there's kind of a halfway there. There's a halfway there when you're sitting meditation for, for two hours or for 15 minutes. There's kind of a halfway area there. You can find your own halfway. There's no, I'm not prescribing anything. I'm just saying, take anything that looks like it starts, looks like it finishes, look halfway. And that could be an estimation or an actual measure. So what is this about? It's always about, if I'm talking about it, it's always about awareness and in some way, finding some way to continually stretch, train our, our awareness practice. I, I usually say, face the wall, sit down, observe what moves. When you get up off the cushion, let the what cards fall where they may. But live your life. Hang out. Be there. Look what's happening. Observe. But don't make some kind of a deliberate, I'm going to be more aware of practice. Do that on the cushion. Sit down, hold still, and be very, very intentional about what's moving in the mind, what's moving in the consciousness, sound, smell, taste, touch, thinking, whatever it has some kind of a, it can be a movement, it can be a rotation, it can be a, a softening, it can be a strengthening, it can kind of get fluffed up without a fluffer, it can get it tamped down without a temper or a temper. So watch what moves. See if there's something moving what is moving. See if there's something pushing what is moving. See if there's something pushing down on what is being pushed down. Just observe. As you observe and as you become more and more radical or going to this, the basis, the root of the situation, the more you can do that, the more you can see, you will see that very difficult to find that that shows up where there's some kind of evidence that this is the, this is the root. This is, the, this is the bottom. There's anything deeper than this beyond this. That may be a discovery. It may not be. So since it's always about awareness, it's never necessarily about some kind of discovery there. The exercise of just going to that point, just going to that point, just looking for that area uh, in your, I'd say do it, do it randomly. Randomly, don't no big planning particularly. Notice the you in there. No big planning situation. Find the beginning, find the end. Pretty easy to find those in any situation. There's um, mashing potatoes. There's a beginning of that and there's an end. There's making coffee, making tea. There's a beginning and there's an end. The nyoho e, or I think it's a nyoho e. No, you're shaking your head yes. Or no. What is that? Nyoho What is that? Sewing. Huh? The sewing of the grove. Yeah. No way. She, she's a sewing teacher. She knows when I say a word that I can't remember what it means, and she helps me. So she helps me halfway. She's not going to help me any further than that, though. So even that, that kind of a practice can be, there can be a halfway. It can be if you're sewing a robe, sewing a raksu, uh, something in that area. There's a there's a strong awareness dynam dynamic. If you're doing that, every stitch you take, it's, I take refuge in the Buddha, take refuge in the Dharma, take refuge in the Sangha, return to the Buddha, return to Dharma, return to Sangha, depending on which one you're using. Halfway. Any questions, Jeff? Yes, uh, Shoka has a question. He asks. I know, I know that guy. Is it S H O K A? That's how Doesn't you spell that it. Say something like sparkling river or something like that. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was his, what's his, uh, what's his private name? You remember? I bet he knows. I bet he does. But he's afraid I'll change it. <laughs> what's your question Shoko he asks what is oh his middle name is son or his private name is Sanyo mountain path yeah mountain path I better, I better get his lazy, lazy mom out of the river up out of the mountainside 
He spent too no, too much time down there bathing. <laughs> Go ahead. His question: What is the stretching quality of awareness? Right. I think uh, I, I use that sometimes. Use that kind of an image uh, stretching. Uh, it's it's more about the awareness shows up and it sees uh, it has the object, it, but quite often, frequently. Most of the time, we go into the object, its value, its relative value, its lack of value, and we lose the the space in which the object is occurring, the sound, the smell, the taste, the touch, the thought, for that matter. I notice how I use the word matter with two Ts. Oh, halfway measures. You notice I didn't leave out one of the Ts? Halfway measures. So the awareness can be uh, stretched not so much by deliberately stretching the awareness, but by being very, very, uh, very much on receive when you see the object. If you see the object clearly, you're not adding to it. You're not moving away from it. You're not judging it. You're not accepting it, refusing it, explaining it, dividing it, doing nothing with it, but just there it is. Then that stretches the awareness and it may stretch it uh, in what looks like time, it may stretch it in what looks like space. It may do, it may do both. Uh, you may have an experience that you wouldn't really describe as time or space. They may be both, excuse me, or neither. Good question. Further about that or anything else? Is there any other questions? Are there? Chihuzan has a question. <clears throat> How do halfway measures relate to manipulating things the way we want? That's also applicable. That's also, you, you have a situation where you, you don't want this, you want that. And, and there's some way that you can actually move something from here to there. Uh, no problema. You can actually move things around. It's, it, the idea is awareness, not so much not wanting to want anything or creating some kind of artificial person who really doesn't have many desires and doesn't think much and doesn't this and doesn't that trying to live up to some kind of idea about who what uh, an enlightened being would be like or how they should act and trying to do that using uh, the various methods and of pushing our thoughts around or trying to get ourselves to think a different way or a better way or a more enlightened way but coming back to the question just just watch that occur. Just observe, just receive, put everything on receive. And that way, the production or the activity that you do, putting this there, moving that there, shining this, moving that down, cleaning this up, rolling this over, that comes out of uh, the spaciousness and the, you could say, a generosity of receiving everything that's coming towards you without addition, subtraction, or division, nothing else. And in that way, whatever if one is tuned into that, then if there if there is a, a need for some kind of production, and this may excuse me, this may start up very slowly. You may not feel like you're really receiving because you're still confused about the producing part. You're still confused about am I is there someone producing? Should I be producing? Should I be doing anything? So regardless of what is produced, as we all know, needless to say, whatever's produced is not going to last. Anything it shows up. It's going away, even if it persists for long periods of time. More questions? Shoka has another question. Yes, Shoka. Can you practice halfway measures with an emotion or feeling? I think you can. I think you can. That's, a, that's very good. Uh, it may not feel 
uh, like you're accomplishing anything or you're doing anything with it. But if you're if something occurs and the emotions are starting to get triggered and are flooding forth, you, you already know if you sat on your butt much at all and looked at the wall or done any wall gazing at all, you're going to know that anything you're feeling is your production. It's not that it isn't triggered by something or touched or or shoved up by something else, so to speak, something that is an apparent else, but that's the way dependent origination works. It always looks like there's else. And therefore we have what? Praise and blame, cause and effect, and the continuous round of what is called samsara, the wheel of life and death, up and down, back and forth, success and failure, Buddhas and sentient beings, praise and blame, pride and shame, and so on. So if something happens and triggers some kind of an emotion in you that is intense, or whether it's a pleasant or difficult, yes, you could you could observe that. You could see the the, the centrality of that emotion and see that it, it has no real continuity to it. It is fabricated. And although it is extremely intense, I'm always using as we wouldn't use the example of a movie or a play or something like that. Now, some plays, uh, some movies, some actions are extremely emotional and some are emotional in the, in the frightening way, like a horror show or zombie movies. We know they're unreal, but they still they trigger some kind of a fundamental paranoia about the unknown uh, showing up as a, a dead person animated. Not particularly amusing. And you might have some difficulty with half measures. But the way I would say that is create a half measure. Watch the movie halfway, get some popcorn. So that way you're halfway. Of course, that might be an escape from the zombie movie. This is a, that's a, a really important area to, to look at, at the, the continuity of the emotion and notice there's the trigger point. And then there may be a point uh, where when you watch it, if you do nothing with that, if you lock and load, if you're out after bear, as they say, or if you're out after the one who triggered that emotion, even if it's accurate, even if they did insult you or they did praise you or they did blame you, no matter what, that's what we're trapped by. That's why it's so difficult because the, even this, the practitioner can come back and say, well, they did do that. And so therefore I'm justified in being upset or being mad or uh, telling the teacher, or telling the Eno or telling the somebody, telling the Shuso. You know what, she, wonder what he said to me? When I was went out to do this or do that, you know what they said, that kind of thing. So it is about seeing, seeing that. And when you ask about halfway measures, yes, you could. In order to do that, you would first have to find the beginning of it, and then you would have to see how it develops. And then as it develops, you've already done this countless numbers of times. Had something happen, triggers a feeling, and then you, not just you, but anybody, expands or reacts or throws their hands up or, or throws uh, their coffee cup ac across the room or stomps their feet or maybe does nothing, just sits there and boils eggs on their head. Might be pretty upset, but there's a halfway measure there also. And that, that uh, through, you might not be able to see it in the middle, but if when it starts to slow down, you can review it and look back through it possibly. And, and uh, without judging, evaluating, using logic or anything, just see that that is unreal. That is dependently, it's dependent on what? It's dependent on the first situation is a bunch of negativity that you've stored 
that you thought weren't there. And then um, Joe Schmidt comes along and acts in a certain way, says a certain certain thing, maybe not even intentional. They might have just said, um, I like your new haircut. Probably not. But some simple situation that was offensive or triggered something. And rather than just coming back and saying, you know, <laughs> keep your comments to yourself. I know my hair, haircut is funny. Probably not a good example. I could go into more personal ones, which I'm not going to do. But I'm saying the trigger is going to be there. And it, it's relatively true. That's why there are people in prison. Because they buy so intensely. Why? They want control. They don't want any halfway measures. They don't want to know. They don't want any more information about it. We're in a situation in our world today where there are a lot of people in charge that they don't, if they let anybody know anymore, they won't be able to have control. They won't have the right people in uh, high places. But we who are trying to train our minds, you might want to take a close look at these situations. And one of the ways you can do that, other ways too, halfway measures. See the way you get triggered, as you brought up, is can you do this with uh, emotion? Yes. It might not work the same way. You might have to get all the way through and actually look back and see that the emotion you were having, no one dumped in you. The emotion you ha you're having is your own emotion because you are not clear about the nature of your mind and, the, and, your, and your ego, um, which is unreal, you think is real. Not just you, me. I wouldn't know about it otherwise. You don't have to change that. You don't have to get over anything. You don't have to be anyone else. You, if you have to do anything, if you're on this path, then you need to see what is fundamentally true, which is nothing is separate. Looking at the separations will lead you there. Just don't give up. So I'm going to practice this. How did I do, Shogo? I think he's taking a nap, though. He was sleepy today. Question <clears throat> from Junchu. She says, in your response to Elna earlier today, you mentioned shining the light of awareness into the darkness. Yes. If a feeling or situation doesn't seem to have a spatial or temporal halfway point, how do we shine light there? Continue. Just continue. Because what will happen is you, you have kind of a, you have, I have, we all have kind of a built-in little TikTok. And we start doing it. And we notice nothing changes. So it's like somebody halfway up the mountain says, this is not getting anywhere. It's just more mountain. Keep going. Might be a lot bigger, a lot longer. The halfway point be a, might be a long ways away. If, in fact, that's what you're asking about. This is why it's so hard to do this by yourself. You can read a book on meditation, on Buddhism. You can read the Diamond Sutra 20 times. Uh, but unless you're Wei Neng, uh, which you're probably not, probably going to take some work sitting meditation to be able to more sitting meditation to be able to see more deeply into that structure of confusion that, that we are grasping at, rejecting, cutting through, or or building up or believing in, grasping, shine what is the light? The metaphor of that is sit down, hold still, and look at the darkness. Or look at the what? Emptiness or the or the boredom. It can show up so many different ways. That's why I say over and over again, as other teachers have said, hold very still. Watch what moves or observe through any of the sense fields, including your mind. Just watch the movement. Laura from Traverse City asks, um, Laura. how specifically does one stretch awareness beyond just spending more time on the cushion? That's a good way to stretch it. It seems to take quite a bit of time. It seems to 
seems to take quite a bit of time. And uh, I don't do much uh, teaching with post meditation. I, I think it's more important to spend a lot of time sitting very still, doing nothing, and watching what continues to roil around, move, go forward. What has moment. If, if you're practicing and you're having difficulty with your day or not, maybe it's an easy day, but if you go and you sit down and hold still and watch the movement, you'll notice certain things have a kind of momentum to them. Like you want results in a certain area or we don't want that to happen. You want to try to stop this or you need more of that. Passion, aggression, ignorance of different varieties. So, and there is some person who wants that. Just the wanting, uh, the, the person quality, the actual personhood, personality starts to dissolve at some point. And there's still the wanting. So there's a, the illusion of, well, there must be somebody that wants something or doesn't want this. Look closely. Chisho asks, is the halfway measure practice meant to loosen our grip on our objective orientation? <clears throat> Maybe a little bit. But the, the, the motivation behind it isn't necessarily meant to loosening. Uh, loosening, I would take it the other direction. I'm sure you recognize this. Just watch the tightness rather than have some method of loosening because anytime you have a method of loosening or a method of method of method of method you've got a little sneaky uh me feeling that wants wants to be part of that it'll make all kinds of pledges and promises that won't interfere with anything just let me be there for the funeral or the celebration it's more disheartening than that um kozan has a question yes the word mindfulness is popular these days. How are halfway measures different than being mindful? So being mindful, it would be fine. You're mindful, just aware of what's happening. Uh, the practice of mindfulness, uh, not always, not always, but quite often is about trying to create a really good meditator, who, someone who is clear, someone who is in the present moment, uh, someone who can be here now. Um, those kinds of things. Be mindful. Uh, and quite often people will actually be, they'll promote that in a way of, if you practice mindfulness, you'll actually start to feel better and do better. And there is a, a kind of a, um, gathering of uh, a sense, perhaps, of tranquility or so on, like they talk about in the Tibetan tradition. But in those situations, the thing, next thing you get, have, get to do is a Vipassana or a Lakton which doesn't have a reference point, which you may not be labeling your thoughts or generally thought of it as an advanced practice. So mindfulness, I would say that's what you, someone wants to practice, being mindful. And you can use that. You know, all you have to do is just tip over your teacup and somebody will say, well, you could be more mindful. Of course, you've never been married, though, have you? No, I have. People love to indict others based on their idea of what should or shouldn't be done. And it's a, a big misunderstanding. One of the main ones is you or me or anyone thinking that somebody else is wrong. If you think that's true, you're going to continue to spend sitting practice of meditation, the practice of Buddhism, the practice of the Buddhist teachings, the study, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, all of us together is about uh, freedom from extremes. Freedom, freedom from extremes. Is there anyone who's free? No. If there were, then it's not freedom. 
have some kind of accomplishment, freedom from extremes, not freedom at all. Make shift. Giuzan asks. Yes. What is halfway when we don't know what the end is? Oh, just guess. I mean, it depends on what you're. Some things aren't. The, the whole dynamic won't work so well there. But uh, what I would say is, you know, something is pretty obvious. There's a beginning. There's that. And a halfway measure that could be somewhere in there where nothing much is happening. It's like. You know, it's like when a child from the back seat says, are we there yet? That's actually a halfway measure or a halfway demand, something. But that kind of spaciousness is uh, quite often a child in the back seat. We try to fill it up with something rather than just encourage the boredom. Uh, actually use that as an opportunity to help them count telephone poles. It might show up. It might show up that way, but it could also show up lots of other ways. Other questions? Junchu has another one. She asks, if it feels like I have a natural aversion to a particular area of life and difficulty looking at it, how do I work with the fear that I am missing out on that? Well, a lot would depend on what it was, but you could, uh, rather than assume that or rather than stay away from it, you could take it in small chunks. It'll take it a little at a time. Go in, work with it. Use rather than my idea or anyone else's idea, you could go in and, and play with that a little bit and move into that area, then notice the grasping and the rejection, the passion and aggression and ignorance that gets stronger. Move back out. Don't don't OD on it. Don't try to use it to accomplish something, but rather use it, use that situation to begin to be more um, more familiar with how that works. Extreme example that I, I can use, I think of lots of examples because I've been doing it for a long time. One of the most extreme and difficult examples for me was, uh, I'm not going, going to go into the whole story, but going in expecting to talk to three or four kids in a church about Buddhism and the pastor saying, oh, you're going to talk about Buddhism. I'd like you to talk to the entire congregation. This is way before I was uh, function at all, other than a meditation instructor, teach somebody how to meditate, how to sit down, hold still, follow their breath or whatever. Uh, suddenly I was in a situation where I couldn't refuse. I had to do it. It was quite terrifying because of the self-consciousness. But I did it anyway, and it was hard, but it, it helped me understand how that, what that was about, how I was really concerned about what people thought of me. And somehow, and before, I got, before I got too far into it, I was able to, just by being there, just by putting up with it, you could say, or just receiving it or allowing my, my knees to knock, knock together. By the way, even if you have a lectern, your knees will knock together if you're frightened. And it's quite difficult for a uh, what 40-year-old man, I think I was around 30, 39 or 40, to stand in front of a couple hundred adults in a church and not, for one thing, not have anything prepared because I thought I would be answering some questions from three or four 12 year olds. Not the case. They were all sitting in the back row laughing at me. That actually helped me. I actually found my sense of humor there. So halfway measure, I, I was there. I, I came, I didn't know what I was going to do. And suddenly the halfway measure was just finding out I was going to have to talk to a whole lot of people. So the beginning, 
of coming there and the end of going home, that halfway measure was shoved upon me. And rather than, you know, I would like to have said, uh, whoops, I made another appointment. I, I really can't do that today. I'll come back some other time. But the pastor wanted me to talk to everybody, so I couldn't refuse. Quite frightening. Wendy asks, is observing halfway measures the same as observing emptiness? I think there's something to that. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that when you're doing that, that you could, you know, chalk it up like, well, here's the 15th time I've observed emptiness by observing halfway measures. So the emptiness that is talked about in the teachings is, uh, is much more, two things, it is much more profound and vast. And it is much more sim simple and everyday mundane. It's it's so vast, and it is so completely ordinary and mundane. Again, what? Not two, not two things, not life, not death, not Buddhas, not sentient beings. All Buddhism is called a middle way, and I used to think that it was middle way because they didn't pick and choose. Well, that's part of it, but. The overwhelming force of uh, prajna completely blows the self-centered ego uh, to bits without even doing anything to it. The ego thinks it's coming apart, but prajna knows there, there isn't anything to come apart. There never was an ego. It, but to, from the, from the self-centered point of view, from the ego point of view, it's terrifying. And, and, and if, if, the, if the fear is too great, then one will cover it over with pride. It's not really having any problem with this. Doing pretty good, actually. Nothing really scares me. Or the other end of that is, I'm never going to get this. I'm so terrible. I can't do anything right. I might as well just give up. Everything I do fails. And then all of the other things which we have for, our, what do they call them? Personality disorders. So, Wendy, not to say that you might not have some kind of flash of something not having any solidity to it in the conventional sense. Possibly. It's possible for that to begin to show up in something called halfway measures because, because the, the import there is, the materialistic import is, here's where I'm beginning something, and here's where I'm ending something. I mean, how many people remember being right in the middle of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich saying, this is just delightful to be here. Peanut butter's here, and the jelly's already on, and I'm not confused. I have no philosophical uh, distortions about what comes first, peanut butter or jelly. I'm doing just fine. Silly situation, but we do that to ourselves. We have these little philosophical, you could say, or um, analytical kind of things about are we doing this right, are we doing this wrong, and those are are like spider webs and we're like flies. We get caught in those situations. More questions if you have them. Ginger has another question. What did yes. you mean by encourage the boredom of children? How do we encourage boredom and how is that helpful? Depending on the child, I'm saying don't miss the opportunity. As you see that, uh, rather than just give the child a toy or trying to distract them or do something with them, actually engage them in that. If, unless you're driving a car, you can't do that. But if you're working with a child, as far as their demand on something else, something else, there are ways to work with that. I mean, anything from getting right down in the dirt with them, which some people are able to do or can do or inspired to do, 
And depending on the age of the child, you probably wouldn't do that with an 18 year old, but engage in that, receive what's happening there uh, as, as a fresh situation rather than just a complaint. Uh, receive it as what what is actually happening with that person, especially the person that's three or four years old. It's, it's a, and I'm not saying you're going to have this successful thing where all the children around you are going to be delighted and happy. That's not the point. The point is always about what? Awareness. It's about awareness of your situation relative to a child who is upset or bored or irritated or mad. Good. Good. Let's go further into that if you have it. Does Rumi have any questions? <laughs> yeah, how do I get out of this crazy monastery? <laughs> I want a playground. I have a question. Yes. Um, earlier you said uh, this practice is freedom from extremes. Where is the halfway between those extremes? Just when you're sitting down to the wall. The extreme is... Post-meditation, you're wound up with this, and then it's time to go sit. After you sit, then that's all. That's the other extreme. That's training in mind. And then up and about, that's post-meditation. Just before you, just when you're, just when you need about, about, just when you sound, that's, that's the middle way. Unless you try to maintain it, and then it becomes uh, a hot poker, or it becomes difficult, the maintenance part of it, I mean. Go ahead. You're the only one I get to look at. There's no one here. There's a lot of names on there, though. Looks like there's a few people. Some people have come. Some people have left. Well, there's two more just came back. People went to the bathroom. Came back. Go ahead. So is the, the halfway measure um, practice something that we can uh, use on the cushion? I think you could, but I bet you do that when there's more obvious differences contrast on the cushion, I would say. Not saying you couldn't sum. Um, I think doing chicken toss, I just sit down, hold still, watch what moves, and then let it do its own thing. You might, just by the just the idea of halfway measures, you might sh- have that show up spontaneously in the practice, but I prefer to encourage people and myself uh, to actually just observe what comes. Whatever's coming, that's it. And so it may have a, a halfway measure. It may show up and nothing's showing up for me right now that I could use as a, an example. But as, if you're just sitting down, you're holding still, and you're watching what moves, something like that could show up. And you would, since you've heard this, you would likely might think of it that way, possibly. So does that become an analysis situation? Yeah, and that's the, the idea with sitting meditation. I wouldn't turn that into an, an analysis. That's why I, I say... A little bit different than quite a few teachers say. I said, if you get, if you don't want to sit there, get up. It's not a, the, the macho idea is a misunderstanding. It just took me several decades to see that because I was doing it myself. I was teaching it, and now I say, if you're if you want to practice this, sit down, hold still, and time it. Sit there and have your intention to sit there for a couple of hours, and then come back at the end of that, like we do in block sitting. Come back and strike the gong. Strike the gong to, end, to begin, strike the gong to end, and then watch what happens in between along with your attention to sit there and have it be your awareness about. Then you'll notice, you might notice all kinds of half measures that are spontaneous situations rather than one you're directing yourself, like halfway between picking up the striker and striking the gong. Those are more intentional, more meditation in action or contemplation in action 
Whereas every time we sit and face the wall, something's different about it. There's always some kind of contrast there. More? Not about that, but um, earlier you were talking about dependent origination. Yes. Is dependent origination imaginary? So the concept of it or the, the actual? The uh, actual occurrence. What we add on to that is the imaginary part. Parikalpata is this Sanskrit. Dependent origination is partantra. That's everything is dependently arisen. Everything, apparent thing, whether it's an, uh, a, a nucleus of an atom or this kotsu or a coffee cup, or those ge- geese out outside the window, but dependent on everything else. So it's what the imaginary part is what we add. It's fundamentally uh, dependently arisen. So it's not separate from awakening. It's not separate from the Buddha. It doesn't have any, the, all the separations are uh, unreal and they're based on this, but hitting that, causing this, causing that more. Jinju has a follow-up question. Is the boredom of children different from our boredom? I think maybe, could be. I think it might be different for everyone. Not if there's further question around that, you have a question? No, uh, but Eric Wilson has a okay. question. Eric? Can you say more about cool boredom? Is there a halfway measure there? I, I wouldn't, I'm not saying there isn't, but I wouldn't recommend any kind of protocol or technique or device that you would you would bring into that situation. Just notice that sometimes there's a boredom that is hot, as Kung Pate talks about, and I presume that you're referring to. Um, it's kind of a hot, restless kind of, I got to get out of here boredom. And then there's the kind of boredom that he refers to as cool, like a mountain stream that is not the tumbling avalanche of water coming out of the mountains, but restless and all over the place and splashing, but uh, opening up into a wide river or so the flow is just, it's just, there's, there's a boredom there, but it's, it's more, it's almost luxurious because you have nothing to do. There's, you're there, you're present. You could get up, you could do something else, or you could just continue to sit there. So not, not a matter of uh, any anxiousness about anything. That doesn't mean that you wouldn't answer the phone or the doorbell and maybe get up and think, oh, that I should answer that. So uh, if any, if you have a maintenance of that boredom when you, you have, you're grasping at that wanting to have cool boredom, not exactly cool boredom. That's more grasping something else. Melissa from uh, Oregon asks, when dealing with grief, how would you apply halfway measures? <laughs> yeah. I would use the body. I would notice the uh, the grief the, that comes up about losing someone or about whatever may happen. I'm not going to go into the story about it, and nor do you need to do that. But usually over some kind of a really intense loss, I think it would be, I think that halfway measures could maybe apply there in some way. But I, but I can't, nothing is showing up as some kind of a protocol or, or methodology for this is how you would apply that i would just say uh watch uh, if you look at the grief and you don't explain it if you look at the grief and you don't cover it up and you look at the grief and you don't uh, distract yourself from it or go to war with it do anything with it other than just feel just feel the texture of that grief which probably sucks nothing lasts and even the grief will have some kind of continuity for a while but if you do nothing with it, it starts to morph into another shape, another way, another dynamic, another energy, another um, 
another kind of quality or another kind of texture, uh, all the other words that would show up that shows that it's modifying or it's changing from one form into something else, especially if you do nothing with it. And if you do nothing with it, it's, it's as if to say, I don't care if this ever leaves about it. So I don't mean, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying embrace the grief. That's grasping. That's passion. That's trying to control it. I'll just embrace the grief. Do nothing with it. Let it, let it. Uh, and even that's going too far to say let. Because the underneath, under underlying assumption is that you have some kind of say so about it. You don't. If you did, you just say, where's the off switch? Don't need that. I already feel bad, and I get grief on top of that. The basic disappointment is more intellectual, and now I've got this intense uh, slug of grief that just wants to track around, track me around, and follow me like a phantom. So again, we're back to the same situation. The way you would deal with that directly is indirectly. And how do you do it indirectly? By dealing with it directly. And how do you deal with it directly? Sit down, hold still, face the wall. In post-meditation, as some kind of thing to manipulate or separate out, or for that matter, try to find a halfway measure, um, which the obvious one is the grief starts up because of something, and then eventually it dies out or ends. And uh, that middle way or that middle area might might only show up in retrospect where it started to die out. It might not be something you can do because of the intense uh, emotional, just that slug of feeling, grief. Just the intense, it's like you've swallowed something that is that won't even fit in your mouth, but somehow it got inside of you and it's big and won't leave. Uh, sometimes depression can be that same way. It's so intense and overwhelming that you, you don't want to live. You don't want to be here anymore. I'm not saying you feel that way, but I'm saying you, you don't want to. And so as far as I know, I'm not saying there aren't meds for it. Of course there are. But I'm saying a way to do it with your own body-mind complex that is in this lifetime, to do it with your life as a spiritual path, not just a psychological one, but it's to sit down and look look at directly in its red beady eyes, whatever they may be, however that may show up, however that grief may show up, rather than going back and constantly going about what, what caused it. What caused, you're just talking, all you're doing is going back into cause and effect, dependent origination. The whole world is suffering. This is how the Bodhisattva, Chenreze, Abolo, Kiteshvara, uh, the sound observer looked down on the suffering of the world and heard the, the cries and screams of those who were suffering and had compassion for them, put them before herself. So it's done with awareness. It's a good question. Not not an easy one to relate to in, in a direct way uh, of saying, well, you can just do this halfway measure for them. Not going to work. That's a difficult one. So the most important thing I could say about it is do nothing with it. it means don't push it away don't validate it don't explain it have no no uh no discussions with grief don't talk out, try to talk out of anything uh the metaphor i used this afternoon is uh the, the ancient one uh story of the tibetan uh saint melarepa the demons came and were after him and making fun of him and torturing him and uh he he fought, he did spells, he did all kinds of things that somebody told him how to do. Here's how you get rid of those. And none of it worked. And they're still there making faces at him and scaring him and all. And, and he he finally just uh, stopped fighting it. Uh, and that the expression of stop fighting is he said, here, have some tea. Serve tea to all of them. And as this legend or story goes, 
Uh, they all went poof. They vanished because they were projections of his mind. And grief is a projection of your mind. I'm not saying it's not. It doesn't have intense form and intense texture and intense odor and intense feeling, but it is unreal. Sitting practice of meditation is the only way I know to deal with that. Amanda has a question. She says, this is a bit off base, but I have had issues with agoraphobia for many years. And I'm wondering if I would embrace my anxiety like you suggest someone embrace their grief. I don't know if I would say embrace so much. Uh, that word is uh, a little bit too uh, like a martial artist. I, I would just say, and I would have to talk to you personally about it over some time, but I would say if you're already doing sitting meditation facing a wall, then I would start very close to the wall and I would back up. If your agoraphobia is an issue, which it can be, uh, the worst case I had of that, I was in Japan and all the people there are shorter than I am. And I was in a subway station and looked around, all these I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people, I could see over all their heads. And I got quite a, quite a, big hit of, uh, I guess you'd call it agoraphobia. I would call it fear. <laughs> it's intense. That was 30 years ago. So, um, but you could uh, you could work with it a little bit that way, like give yourself a little bit of a dose of it and use the distance if you're using a wall. Another thing is to, uh, um, depend on how you're practicing. Sometimes a lot of wall gazing, at some point it's good to just go look out a window. Sometimes it's good to continue to look out the window. Sometimes it's good maybe to cut it half and half or one quarter and three quarters, something like that, depending on how that's showing up for you. Some people, students doing something like that. Even in our monastery, if somebody comes out and just naturally goes over to one of the Zafus or Zabatons in the days when you we had people come in, and now we don't have anybody come in because of the COVID-19. But somebody could come over and just naturally sit down in front of a window. And that was always interesting to see which one sat in front of the window, which one stood. So, and not that I did anything with it. I didn't take notes off. So, well, there's some agoraphobia, right? Afraid of the window. Or there's someone who has claustrophobia. They want that window. They don't want to sit facing a wall in a stuffy room with a bunch of monks. Always different. Each person's way of being knotted up or tied up or clenched up or something that seems to be different, but it basically, it all comes down to, for everyone, it comes down to this metaphor right here, this one, that. But you can't do that unless you look at what this, you have to look at that. You have to look at that clenched fist that is the ego. Very, very stingy. Doesn't want to open the I see no more. Could go ahead and dedicate the May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. The ten 
directions, the three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna Paramita. O Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions and the Three Times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Soka Koji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light.